Could it be that you're weeping 
Brothers and sisters, good morning to you, um, and greetings to those who are uh, at home here on this last Sunday in April. Thankful to be with you. Thankful to be among family. You know, this past weekend I was um, helping out a, a wedding of a friend downtown Cleveland, and we had the rehearsal on Friday afternoon. And so I'm walking into the hotel and I have my Bible and I see that they're taking temperatures there in the lobby. So I got in the queue and, um, you know, everybody starts to give me very dirty looks in the line. And I said, well, you know, is it, you know, my Bible? Is it really that bad? I mean, a clergyman doing a wedding down here and uh, be began to just look around and say, well, these are very impressive uh, specimens. And the, the old Sesame Street song, one of these things just doesn't belong here, uh, came into my mind and it occurred to me. I said, you know, I think this is the New York Yankees infield here, and sure enough it was, which is why I was getting uh, dirty looks. A pilgrim in an unholy land, as they say. So uh, made my way to the, um, uh, to the wedding uh, with no problem. So good to be among family. Uh, so greetings. If you're here for the first time, you want to know what's happening at the church, the welcome card's the best way to do that. You can drop it off with staff and love to some of these announcements come fast. You just say, I'd like to get them in written format, know what's happening. The, the welcome card would be the best way to do that. A uh, bit on the, the protocols, we've deliberately not revisited them. You know, all, you know we, we want to be a church family. I know everywhere we go, we're thinking about these things. So just a reminder that we're still under these uh, conditions. We don't want to be uh, so permanently uh, that we're always revisiting it as a staff. You know, you've got public health mandates and want people who want to come here feel safe. And so just a reminder that we're still, uh, you know, asked to wear, wearing masks in the church. And again, we're, if you'd be patient with us, we're always looking at that. We want those who, who want to be vaccinated a chance to be vaccinated and then to resume uh, normal without masks as soon as possible. So just be mindful of the unity of the church family that, uh, again, we all have different opinions on this, but part of what it means to be a family is to, you know, it, sometimes we don't get to do what we want. Uh, so just be mindful of the unity of the church family and where we're at uh, culturally with the virus for a little bit longer. We appreciate your patience and kindness to us. Elder-led prayer on that note tonight at 7 p.m. Uh, here at the church. We want to be a praying church. Maybe you're one who's like, I don't know, pray, prayer for an hour, that's a bit intimidating. So you don't have to pray audibly if you don't want, but to come and to uh, pray quietly for, again, those in our church, for our region, for our country, uh, where we're at. So please do. Uh, all are welcome tonight, 7 p.m. for the church-wide prayer meeting. Education fair. I'm very thankful that we have, uh, of the three Christian schools in the area, all three heads of school, the, the superintendents, if you will, attend here. And so today we wanted to have an education fair uh, for those who are thinking about Christian education, or maybe that's a settled issue in your home, but it's still so important to ask the right questions. And so we have this great resource of uh, educators, both in the public schools and in the Christian schools today. To find out more about the Christian schools, please, uh, immediately after the service, go to room 16 and 17 and meet those who are leading these schools and to just uh, start that dialogue. Again, to, do take advantage of the, the gifted people that God has uh, brought into our church family. So education fair, room 16 and 17, immediately after the service, the three heads of school will give a presentation. I think you'll be, you'll be very encouraged. Okay, moms of preschoolers, this Tuesday evening, the 27th, uh, they'll come together, this time without the children. When they meet in the mornings, they bring the children. This one's just for the moms to, to build each other up in Christ. A great thing to bring a non-believing uh, non neighbor to. So that's Tuesday evening, the 27th, Moms of Preschoolers. Young Professionals, this will be Thursday, the 29th at 730 
Uh, whenever you use that phrase, young professionals, I always get a number of questions. Well, who is that exactly? Say, well, is anyone really your, I think, 20s and 30s? Usually a cutoff. If you don't, you know, if you have children, that's usually the cutoff because we don't have childcare. So if you're 20s, 30s, uh, you know, just out of college, uh, your first job, or you know, maybe you're you're 32 and you've, you know, you're well, you know, a little bit more established. Th that this is the kind of thing you want to come to. So young professionals, uh, you know, uh, time together Thursday evening the 29th. We'd love to have you. That being said, I'm going to invite Pastor Joe up now, and those who are watching on the live stream will be back in a few minutes uh, due just uh, uh, keeping anonymity here. So we'll see you back in you know, something like six, seven minutes. And then for the rest of us here, we'll have a talk uh, to those. It's, uh, it's late at night uh, where they are. So hope this is an encouragement to you.
As our brother mentioned, that he was once dead in sin and alive in Christ Jesus. That because of the life, death, burial, resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the chains were broken. No longer slaves to our sins. We're alive with Christ. Let's stand and sing those truths this morning as a church. Amazing grace, my chains are gone. I once was born. 
God by singing and by studying his word and by reading his word together, which is what we'll do now. So uh, we'll turn our attention actually to Psalm 44. And the Psalms are the, the songs of the, in the ancient temple that the Israelites sang. So God's people have uh, declared these for obviously uh, many, many centuries. And uh, you'll notice that this Psalm's really a, a, a cry out to help for God. And we'll see how this is going to fit with Luke uh, chapter 7. Okay, so if we can read together. O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but then you set them free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordained salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes, though your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me, but you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. Now the end of the psalm. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Amen. Psalm 44. What? 
in our hearts as we pray. Heavenly Father, we're gathered here this morning to uh, sing praises to you, to hear your word, uh, and to fellowship after. Lord, we pray and uh, we acknowledge uh, Psalm 105 to give thanks to you, call upon your name, make your known the deeds uh, among ourselves and the peoples, to sing to you, to sing praises to you, and tell of your wonderful, wonderful works. Uh, glory in, the, in your holy name. Let the hearts of us uh, who are gathered here uh, rejoice as we seek you in your strength. And so, Father, we uh, continue uh, in, during this time to just bring praises to you, to be thankful for your Son, the Lord Jesus, uh, who, um, who shed his blood so that we can be completely justified here by faith in you. We thank you for your work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to draw us to you, to enlighten our minds, to respond to you. Father, we're thankful for so many things to bring praise to you. Um, as we look out, as we just experienced a brother on the other side of the planet and everybody in between, Lord, we're thankful for your hand, that you sustain all things and that we can trust you in the care uh, for our lives. Lord, we lift up our congregation to you, those who uh, may be ill this time, um, that we pray for them. We pray for your presence. We pray for encouragement from your word that they can meditate and think about your character and how good you are. Lord, we pray for those who will be facing difficult decisions and challenges this week uh, as we transition as a, as a culture 
believing culture to a world that's changing right before our eyes. Help us to be uh, salt and light to them. But we lift up those challenges to our congregation that we, we don't see them as difficulties. We see them as opportunities uh, for us that you have put us in places where we can be salt and light. Lord, we lift up the ministries around here in our church, uh, those who serve in nursery all the way up through uh, adults and small groups and Bible studies. We pray that your word would, would cut our hearts as we teach and that it wouldn't be the teacher, it would be your word and the truth that your spirit would use in our lives to uh, make choices that honor you for your kingdom and your glory. Lord, we thank you for Caleb, who will bring the word uh, to us. Lord, we thank you that he's experienced uh, what the early church experienced, that he was cut to heart, and that which he's learned and labored over, he brings to us, and that your word would penetrate our hearts to bring you glory and praise as we continue in the service. And we ask all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you're able to stand with us, uh, Becky will be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 18 through 35, and she will be reading from the ESV. Good morning. <clears throat> the disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, I'm sorry, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Good morning. Uh, my name is Caleb. I'm the pastor of student ministries here. And uh, before we dive into God's word this morning, can I invite you to pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning a broken people. We are, many of us are, are weary. Some are grieving. Some are anxious. Some are angry. All of us are in need of your presence. And so we ask, we beg that you would be among your people this morning, that you would speak to us through your word, that you would strengthen and encourage and comfort your people. Father, we ask that you be glorified in our time together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Back in September, Christianity Today was the first to break the story of sexual misconduct allegations against Ravi Zacharias. If you don't know who that is, Ravi was a world-famous Christian apologist. His work and his life was dedicated to explaining and defending the Christian faith and to encourage other believers to represent Christ well to the world. And many look to Ravi's own life as the model for how to do that well. But then a few months after he passed away, it came to light that Ravi had been extorting women around the globe for many, many years. It was a scandal that rocked the Christian world, but not for the reason you'd think. See, when you and I think of a scandal, we normally think of an immoral, normally sexual act, which is what Ravi did, but that's a sin, not a scandal. What made it so scandalous was the person committing it. See, for something to be a scandal, it has to be so inconsistent with the person doing it that the dissonance causes people to lose faith, to fall away which is what happened here. Ravi's actions were so inconsistent with who he claimed to be, who people thought he was, that the dissonance caused many to reject his work and his ministry. See, a scandal is really just our inability to cope with people failing our expectations. Now, you might be sitting there thinking that uh, you are exempt from being scandalized, that life and the news has taught you to assume the worst about people that, and just to expect them to disappoint you. But if there should be an exception to your rule, a kink in your armor, it ought to be God. God should always act consistently with his character, right? After all, the Bible tells us that God does not lie and that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet in our text, Jesus himself is caught up in a scandal. He has done something that is so inconsistent with who he is that the dissonance threatens to cause even John the Baptist to fall away. And so this morning, we're going to investigate this scandal and how we might endure similar ones in our own life. And so join me again in Luke 7, starting in verse 18. This scandal of Jesus breaks at a rather low point in John the Baptist's 
life. Our text opens with John sitting in prison. So he had been preaching by the Jordan River, calling people to repent and turn to God. And that no one was exempt from that call, not even King Herod, who had uh, married his brother's wife under questionable circumstances. And because John spoke out against their union, Herod had him thrown in prison. But John could take heart in the fact that the one who was to come had finally come. Part of John's message had been to announce that someone greater was coming, someone whose sandals John was not worthy to undo. And this one to come was the one who would bring about the other part of John's message, judgment. Luke gives us a, a soundbite of one of John's fiery messages in Luke 3, 7 through 9. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is what John was expecting. And now that Jesus was here, the day of reckoning had finally come. Or so he thought. Verse 18 tells us that some of John's followers were keeping tabs on what Jesus was up to. And they, they come and they give John a report. And you can imagine John's surprise and confusion to hear that Jesus had not picked up the axe that was laid at the root of the tree. Instead, he was teaching and healing. And this caused a, a crisis of faith for John. And he, so he sends Jesus a message, a question. Are you the one to come, or should we be looking for someone else? Now, based on his question, we might assume that John's crisis of faith is one of doubt. And it certainly seems like he's looking for reassurance. That's not what's going on here. Uh, this is the type of question you might ask if you find some kids TPing your house. You would run out and shout at them, what are you doing? But what you really mean is, stop it, right? It's a question, but only in the technical sense of the word. It's not a request for information. It's a demand for action which is what John is doing here. It's as if in his question, he's saying, have you forgotten who you are, Jesus? Let's get going. Let's start swinging that ax. Let's start soaring the wheat and the chaff. Let's start doing what you're supposed to be doing. And so John's disciples go and deliver the message. And if we read verse 21 literally, it seems like Jesus ignores John's disciples for an hour so he can heal some people and then responds. But Luke's not being that exact with time here. He's simply recounting that at this point in Jesus' ministry, he was healing people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and bestowing sight to the blind. And so Jesus responds to John's disciples' question in verses 22 and 23. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard, that the blind receive their sight, the lame Walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended, or in the Greek, scandalized by me. 
Now, let's be honest. Jesus' answer is kind of cold. Rather than just answering the question, he sends them back with the same information that got this whole process started. It's as if Jesus is disinterested in John's crisis of faith. But what this long-distance exchange reveals to us is that John's crisis of faith is not one of doubt. It's one of disappointment. Jesus wasn't doing the good things that John expected him to do. Perhaps you can sympathize with John the Baptist. Perhaps you have expected God to do some good things in your life. Not like crazy things like win the lottery or something like that, but like, you know, good things, things that are consistent with his character. You have been clinging to the promise that God has a plan for you to prosper you and not to harm you, a plan to give you a hope and a future. And yet often it seems like God is failing to keep up his end of the bargain. You pray for healing and the person dies. You pray that your children would walk with the Lord and they run the other way. You pray for years that someone would come to salvation and they staunchly refuse to the end. These situations create in us a real crisis of faith, not because we, we doubt that God could do it, but because we are confused and disappointed that he didn't. And our good theology would say that we just need to get over it, deal with it. After all, God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And yet these things are so scandalous, so inconsistent with who we believe God is and what he does that we can't just get over it. Not without first understanding what causes these scandals. And we actually discover this as we continue through our passage. As John's disciples leave to give John the message, Jesus turns to the crowd around him and he asks them in verse 24, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Was it a reed shaken by the wind? Well, then what did you go out to see? Was it a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus speaks very highly of John which might be surprising to us given John's crisis of faith, but it was not surprising to the crowd. After all, the people didn't go out to see John because he was in an exotic location. The only thing to see out by the Jordan River was a weed blowing in the wind. And they didn't go out to see John because he was a rich and powerful individual. His camel hair outfit and locust diet really excluded him from being part of the upper crust of society. They went out to see John because of his message, that God was coming to set things right and people needed to be ready. And in verse 28, Jesus confirms that John's message was right, that the structures of power and status would be leveled in God's coming kingdom, that the good news wasn't just for the moral elites of Israel, it was for everyone. And the crowd praised God for this fact. 
well, most of the crowd. There was one group that wasn't too happy. Unsurprisingly, the Pharisees and the experts of the law were not pleased with what Jesus was saying. And ironically, they were in the same boat as John. Jesus was failing their expectations as well. His lifestyle and his message were so inconsistent with what they expected the Messiah to be saying and doing that the dissonance had caused them to reject him. At this point, we might be tempted to think that the problem is on Jesus's part, that he has really misunderstood his job description. But Jesus shows us what's really going on uh, in the remainder of our text. Uh, I'm in verse 31. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? Well, they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say, he has a demon. And the son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus tells what some have called the parable of the brats. He imagines a a group of children who are dissatisfied no matter what the people around them do. And the reason that the children in this parable are brats is because they expect everyone to play by their rules. They want the marketplace to be wrapped around their finger and do whatever they please. They're just kids. They can't make anyone do anything. And so they play a tune. They try to compel the people to act a certain way, and then they throw a fit whenever no one does. And Jesus says that this is how the Pharisees are acting. See, they rejected John the Baptist because he came eating no bread and drinking no wine. He was too radical for them. But then they rejected Jesus because he wasn't radical enough. He was going around eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus's point was this, that the real problem wasn't the messengers. It was the message that God wasn't playing by their rules, that that God wasn't going to dance to the tune of their song. See, the Pharisees expected to be the ruling class in God's kingdom. After all, they had devoted themselves to living a certain way so that God would be compelled to make it happen. But then come to find out through Jesus and John that that's not how God was going to do things. And it scandalized them. And it caused them to reject him. See, divine scandals occur in our lives when God doesn't play by our rules. Perhaps you've witnessed this before. Perhaps you've shared the gospel with someone and they rejected it because they could never believe in a God who allows fill in the blank. And what they're really saying is that at some point, God failed to meet their expectations. He failed to play by their rules. And so they had grounds to reject him. And this is what is causing John the Baptist's crisis of faith as well. God had failed to play by John's rules. John had set up the board. He had faithfully put the ax by the root of the tree so that God could start swinging, and yet God didn't play the game. Just like you and I have set up the board, we have faithfully obeyed God so that he would have good reason to faithfully provide that job, that spouse, that medical trial, that friend, that house, that thing that you wanted. 
And yet God doesn't play our game. And his failure to act according to our rules seem to confirm our greatest fear. That God doesn't know what he's doing. Or worse, God doesn't care. That God doesn't have your best in mind. This is why we are so insistent that God play by our rules. And why we are so devastated and disappointed when he does not. Because at our core... We are unconvinced of God's goodness toward us. And it's this belief that causes every crisis of faith and every failed expectation. So what are we to do? What are we to do? How are we to cope with God failing our expectations? Should we just accept the fact that life is pain? Or does our text offer us something more. Well, let's look at Jesus' answer to John again. It's back in verse 22. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard, that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Now, we've already noted that this is not new information but it's also not an original message. See, Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 35, and John, being a, a student of Scripture, would have picked up on the context. Here it is, Isaiah 35, 3 through 6. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Here was Jesus' response. Look around, John. The blind see. The lame walk. The deaf hear. The mute sing. John, your God has come with a vengeance. John, your God has come to save you. This is the cure for our failed expectations. It's, it's to grasp what God is really doing. We must come to grips with the fact, as one of my professors so aptly put it, that Jesus came to save us, not to serve us. That Jesus came for us, but he doesn't answer to us. That Jesus came for us, but he will not be subjected to our agenda, no matter how good our agenda is. Instead, Jesus demands that you and I be subjected to his agenda. This is the cure for our expectations, to realize that God is, in fact, working all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This will solve the problem, but it's a cure that is difficult to administer. When disappointment knocks us down, when our pillows are drenched through with tears, the truth that God is acting for our good is a difficult pill to swallow. If only he would have just given us a little more explanation, a little insider information. That would have made it easier. But Jesus' last words to John actually offer us something greater. Verse 23, 
Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, Jesus doesn't offer an explanation of what he's doing. He doesn't justify himself. Instead, he offers himself. He offers the only thing that can assure us that God always acts in our good. Do you want to know what the real scandal of Jesus is? It's found in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. That Jesus, being in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Jesus scandal is that the king of the universe set everything aside and humbled himself to the lowest point, death on a cross, for you. Because of his great love for you, he was wounded and broken so that you might be healed and have life. On the cross, Jesus proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he will always act with your good in mind. And it's to that truth, to him, that we cling. It's the only way to cope with a disappointment. Here's the truth of the passage. Jesus disappoints everyone. Jesus has disappointed me many, many times. And my guess is that just in this past year, a year where nothing has gone according to plan, Jesus has disappointed you. In these moments, we have a choice. We can choose to cling to our disappointment, to our mistrust of his goodness, or we can cling to Christ and trust in his demonstrated goodness for us. I think C.S. Lewis perfectly captures our reality in these situations in a, a brief dialogue between Mr. Beaver and Susan Pevensey. Susan's just discovered that Aslan is a real lion, and she's concerned about that fact. She's concerned that he won't be quite safe. To which Mr. Beaver responds, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. He's a lion. But he's good but he is good. Brothers and sisters, our lives are not going to be free of disappointment. They will not be safe from failed expectations. There is always the chance for a new divine scandal. But even in those times, we can and we should cling to Christ because despite the disappointment, he is good. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are profoundly disappointed. Again and again, we have been confused by the way that you've acted in our lives, doing things that seem contrary to our expectations. And yet, Father, we must also confess that you are good and that on the cross you demonstrated that beyond a shadow of a doubt, that in giving us your son, that you are more than willing and able to give us all things.
And so, Father, we need your help. By the power of your spirit, we ask that you would help us to keep the cross in mind, to see, to glimpse what you're really doing by looking at what you have done. Now, Father, would you continue to minister to us, to strengthen us as we sing your praises. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you, brother. Let's conclude with the song. Would you please stand as we sing of our precious cornerstone. Precious cornerstone, sure foundation, you are faithful to the end. We are waiting on you, Jesus. We believe you're all to us. Precious
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go with your hold on Christ. And be sure to check out the Christian Education Fair in 1617.